So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and I'm so excited you're here. You are listening to episode number 13. I'm so happy to be sharing this conversation with you all this week. I'm talking today with Kashana Palmer. Kashana is so many things. She is a management and leadership whiz. She's an international speaker, a facilitator and trainer, a coach, a strategist. When I met Kashana a little over a year ago, I was instantly drawn to her, both as a woman leader and as a social entrepreneur. She has a beautiful and earnest energy, and she's doing just incredible things in this world. I knew that I wanted to have her on this podcast and I knew that we'd have an enjoyable and easy and very real conversation about sustainability and leadership. And I was right. Kashana and I get deep into the why of sustainability. She talks honestly about her path to greater sustainability in her own life and business, what it feels like to face burnout, why sustainability is so important for our health and why it's so hard to maintain. And we get deep into the how. She offers concrete strategies for moving and leading in a way that is truer to ourselves and thus more sustainable in the long term. 
I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Hey, Kashana, good to talk to you. It's so good to talk to you, Rook. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I was telling you before we came on camera how excited I've been to talk to you for like a year now. <laughs> oh my gosh. And listen, the last time we were together, I was like, I love Brooke so much. Oh, likewise. Inside your mind. Just for this. I was like, we actually need to just figure out ways to do stuff together for real. Because I was like, that would actually just be the thing. And I've recently learned that... For myself, not learn. Like, you know, when you have to like admit and acknowledge. Yes, acknowledge. Yes. That although I run alone a lot, I am not actually a loner. Like I am a group mm-hmm. person, but yeah. I'm the person growing up in the group project yes. that was happy to kick it, do all the ideas, but I did my work. So I would go yes. back and sit down, do my work, do my part, do, you know, and so. Yep. And then be right ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, we had that conversation with Rhea and I I think I sent you an email like the next day yes, have to make, like, make some stuff happen. So yes. I'm really glad yeah. we're talking. So this series of conversations that I'm having right now, as I mentioned, is about sustainability and sustainable leadership. And there are so many things that you are growing and leading as a leader. And also you are a leadership coach and a leadership whiz and you help other people and other women become amazing leaders. So I would love to start off our conversation by just asking you sort of going right to the heart of it. When I say sustainable leadership, what comes up for you? Where does your mind go? For me, sustainability is really about being able to see not just what works for you now, but what's going to work for you down the road where you can't see. So my dad used to always talk about like not cutting off your nose to spite your face. Oh yeah, I got that one a lot too. (laughs) (laughs) My family's Jamaican. And so lots of the Mm -hmm. stories about being able to hold a little bit Mm -hmm. for a rainy day. And so when I think about it as it relates to leadership, for me, it's are you putting stuff in your toolkit so that when you reach in and you reach in and you reach in and you reach in, you you got to touch at the bottom, like, wait a minute, there's nothing else. Do you have enough for a rainy day? Are you building the kind of team? Are you growing the kind of company? Are you aligning yourself with the types of people and partnerships that will help you not to just survive but to thrive. And so that sustainability aspect is about the things that continue to feed you. One thing I love about that is when I was leading my team at my organization, I used to use the example of a cup, right? A mug. Mm -hmm. You have to fill, you're going to drink from the mug. You want to make sure it's full. You want to make sure that there's something there for you to drink from, to replenish yourself. And also you want to make sure that it's filled with healthy things. I love that idea of sustainability being about making sure that you have something to return to. I mentioned when we first started talking that I'm on your newsletter list and I got your email a few weeks back about burnout, right? And about Mm -hmm. that feeling of maybe having pushed a little too hard and actually really thinking in your head, do I have enough to keep going, right? Is That's it. And I've listened to your podcast, your launch. I was really excited. You talk about leadership making us sick. Uh, For those of you who absolutely check out, the first three episodes are (laughs) fantastic. Oh my gosh. But both of those messages, I believe in synchronicities. Like I think you hear the same message over and over because you're, Mm -hmm. I paid attention to the theme there, which is the way that we lead 
is up to us. Why have you been focusing on this issue of healthy leadership recently? I think my health, my mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health have all been sort of under siege Mm, since I went to college. Probably before that, but I think when you're a teenager, everything feels like you're under siege. I don't know. I can't differentiate. But I started the moment where, as I started to think about my professional path, one of the things that I have probably said a couple of times before, but I think surprises folks when I say it is that I didn't actually have any goals about what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to get married, which is for was for me a big goal, and have children, which for me it was that was it. I was like, and when I will figure out the rest. Now to know me is to know that there's always a scheme, there's always like a new opportunity to create. So I knew I'd have my hands full with family, but I didn't really see myself as a career person. I really didn't have an aspiration to that. My dream growing up was to be a singer, and when that dream didn't happen quite the way I'd planned, you know, and often the case with adulthood. <laughs> correct. And my parents were like, you're going to business school. It's good for you and your dreams and your record deals. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I didn't know enough at the time to know, like, no, you should just push through that, like figure that out. Anywho. So I realized that my desire to prove myself, but to whom wasn't ever really clear for me and to live up to the dreams that other people had for me. I think really started to eclipse my ability to think about what I wanted for myself when the first dream I had didn't pan out in the way that I would want it to. And so what ended up happening is that I just ended up working myself to death multiple times. Like how many times does one person need to be hospitalized for something similar before you just like kind of throw in the towel? Like really? Like so you don't learn? And the way lessons come to you, if they come to you as a pebble the first time, Brooke, you know this, and you don't learn it. Oh, you wanted to come back again as a rock? Excellent. Oh, you no, you didn't learn that? Throw a boulder if it has to. Come on, boulder. Right? Yes. <laughs> so thankfully, my boulder did not come in the form of a heart attack or a stroke or something that really affects women and particularly Black women. But it did come in the form of severe arthritis in my spine, which I have now, and my vision really changing rapidly, particularly over the last year, having chronic bronchitis when I was traveling every spring, like so much so that the Urgy Center folks would be like, oh, Kachana's back for her springtime tune-up. Like, that is not okay. That's not what we want. Yeah. That's not okay. Part of the reason I think I was able to get a COVID diagnosis so fast at the beginning of the pandemic last year is because I went to the place I always go and they were like, it's you. (laughs) Let's just look, you know? Like, we see you every year, but this is a different thing. This is the thing. So I started to realize that I was not living the thing I was teaching fully. Mm. And I was afraid to live the thing that I was teaching fully. And being a hypocrite is so, like, not my jam. Like, I run to the hills away from that. But I didn't know how to do it long term. I knew how to make the announcement, do the challenge, post about my green juice, my green juice, y'all, my green juice. Don't Not listen to the same thing. Not the same, but you know, no judgment. But Brooke, you know how this gets when you get busy and you get on that hamster wheel, when you are a high performer, when people can come to rely on you, when you are a person who does what you say you will do, even to the detriment of yourself. God, how easy it is for us to get into that rhythm and not slow down enough to go. The person who you are not holding up or holding yourself accountable to is you, ma'am. Get your life. And so your body keeps the score and it just starts to just to tally you in the ring. Yeah. That's why being able to start to narrate those conversations became so important to me. And because I have a big personality, 
it throws people off to understand that I actually carry a lot of pain, right? Because I'm always smiling and it's genuine. It throws people off because they think they see how I work. That's right. They They imagine. All of you. Yes. Exactly. And to what end do I show up on stage? Do I show up on screen? Do I show up for clients? Do I show up for my kid? Do I show up for my household? But I'm not showing up for myself. So from a sustainability perspective, I realized that I was running someone else's race, but I for a second could not tell you who. And so the day that you read that newsletter, people think that I plan my newsletters. Like we plan a lot of our social media stuff, like with intention, y'all. But I don't actually do that part. I write it almost every Friday. Yeah. It's down in the afternoon. I write whatever happened that week, which is why it always feels like it's happening right now. Because it is. very authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. And that day I was like, I quit. I was like, is there an OnlyFans account for women of a certain age who had to wear a brace? <laughs> I know there is. I know someone out there, Brooke, wants that. Yes. <laughs> There's so many things about what you're saying that are just so deeply resonating with me as a Black woman, as a woman who has led other institutions mm-hmm. in my own is a high performer. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the hamster wheel is, you can know the, the tactics, right? The things to do. And I just love that one of the things you're highlighting about sustainability is that we have to lift ourselves above the tactics, above the actions, above the best practices and the yes. board meetings and the checklists yeah. to actually look at the whole picture and include ourselves in the whole picture. There's a, a quote that my friend Kemi shared with me, just because someone carries it well, doesn't mean it isn't heavy. I wrote that on my wall. I love that. That's another thing that I hear you saying, which is part of sustainability, whether we're talking about sustainable leadership or just sustaining ourselves, mm-hmm. I think is recognizing that for ourselves. Just because we carry it well, doesn't mean it's- it isn't heavy. Exactly. And I think for me, I struggle with the admiration people have for me because when I say I am from Queens, like, girl, listen, don't delight me with telling me we go on the city island or Red Lobster, okay? (laughs) I am here and I want somebody to tell me that that is hood. I don't care. Please, my husband and I went to Red Lobster for every anniversary for our first year. Yes. Listen, and this Cheddar Bay Biscuits, okay? I'm ready. And in the same vein, I am well-traveled and all the things that that is not supposed to represent, the air quotes, right? And it's possible for all of that to exist. And it's possible for me to also struggle. And it's possible for me to also have mindset stuff that I am constantly trying to unlock the next labyrinth. Because over time, when you are a performer, and if you are a person of color globally, And in this country, if you are a Black woman of any descent that is stepping into a space that is not your home ground, you are on stage. And frankly, if you grew up in the U.S. system, you're taught to perform and to obey, to listen to directions. So when you spend your life being rewarded, starting with, you know, Miss Elizay in second grade with my pretzel at the end of the day, standing at the front door to all the way to who gets to do the morning announcements in junior high school and then the high school who gets pulled in to go study abroad. That was me. Then who gets to be the person to lead the district and then who gets to, you see what I'm saying? And so there's a carrot 
And mine wasn't even the fancy kind because I didn't play sports. <laughs> you know, my dad said, that's his biggest regret. Can you imagine of all the regrets the man has in his life, Brooke? He said his biggest regret is that he was not home to take <laughs> me to sports because he just knows. You could have been somebody. I don't have any <laughs> athletic ability and the man is convinced. <laughs> He's like, I just knew that you would be somebody. <laughs> Dad's love is a powerful thing, let me tell you. And so that to me, you know, when I think about sustainability now, my thought is, what am I modeling for the queenager who, thank God, I could tell that she was just her own sovereign little person. Yeah. And that her discernment was high and that she was a deep well mm-hmm. that needs to be protected. People who are deep wells are sensitive, even though they are silent and that needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. And that she wants to go out into the world to do things that I may not want for her and that I may not have dreamed of. And my job is to just provide safe passage. And so if I'm not taking care of myself, then how am I going to be able to do the one darn job that God gave me to do? That's it. Provide the kids safe passage, please. That's right. And so that is a responsibility that I take very, very seriously. But it is hard to live when you are, in my case, the sole breadwinner. Mm-hmm. You are in a solo household. You are building a company you know, it becomes a lot and still having to teach her to prioritize herself. Like I quit. Well, we don't have models for that. I mean, not just as women, but I think in the business world, when you're building a business, this idea of prioritizing yourself is framed as soft or selfish or somehow in contrast to actual success. Correct. What's actually good for the business. And part of what I hear you grappling with and saying is that we have to redefine what that carrot is, right? We have to redefine what success means and looks like that if the metrics are in play, the KPIs paper are in place, but I am in the hospital, then that is not success. Not for me. And that that has to be not just for us as people within our businesses, but really as a society, rethinking how we talk about success. Absolutely. And understanding what success means for me. And I will be honest, I do not have a really clear view. It still feels very fuzzy. Like I cannot see, you and I both wear glasses. I can't see a darn thing without these glasses on. Okay. Just gone. And can I see color? I don't know. My sister okay. put on my glasses the other day and was like, oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> They're like, oh, hey. And they don't even feel bad for us. They're like, it felt like, did you just accuse me of being a serial killer? I feel like something has shifted happening in your brain right now. The way you are thinking about me in this moment because of my glasses. But it's, I feel like when I take my glasses off and I know things are there and in general, I won't bump into anything, but I can't tell you with sharpness and precision. And so the thing that I was fighting to get to was that clarity. But honestly, to your question about sustainability, the push to the clarity isn't going to get me to the sustainability. Relaxing and being able to sit still enough is actually my challenge. I know how to push through. What I don't know how to do is sit my butt still and let it come to me. And when I tell you the tears and my early morning prayers, the times that I can't even get through a 10-minute prayer because at the four or five-minute mark, all of the thoughts of the day start seeping in so much that I've had to take to listening to prayer just to get my mind to focus, like for folks who are struggling with trying to find their place and their space, yeah. it could be that you're suffering the same thing that I have been putting, suffering myself, mm-hmm. is trying to do too much to get to the thing that people want you to get to as opposed to sitting yeah. 
with where you are. And that doesn't mean doing nothing. But if you are a do everything person, doing nothing actually is the same as the person who does nothing, who needs to do something. It is doing something. It's, mm-hmm. it's really remarkable. Um, I feel like so much of what you're articulating reflects conversations, well, thoughts I've had in a path and journey that I've been on and conversations that I've had with so many people in the last few months. Mm-hmm. Coming out of 2020, I choose a theme every year. Last year, the theme was level up, right? And so I was building this business or I'm building this business and I really wanted to be focused on sort of the push, right? Like what's the next level? What's the next thing? I built my organization that way. I was like, I know how to do that, right? I know how to push. And coming into 2021, my theme was be still and listen. Mm. And as I'm listening to you and I'm reflecting on some of the conversations I've had, not just about sustainability, but with other women leaders in particular, this yin-yang, this push-pull between moving forward, aiming at the goal, Mm -hmm. using your energy and sort of momentum to go forward in contrast to just sitting and listening to what the universe is telling you about what needs to be. And maybe you wouldn't have to push so hard if you just listened and then took the right step. It's just remarkable to me to hear you say that, that this theme, that push-pull is so present for so many people. Oh, present. And it's hard to do for some of us. And so I had to get comfortable with easier said than done, but that does not excuse me from the done part and that I need to seek counsel. So I was going to ask, what are some of the things you've done to bring that stillness into your life? So one, I've had to get a coach. We all have to. I don't trust coaches who don't have coaches. I'm like, so nobody's advising you? Like no one? On your own? No, I don't. Mm -mm -mm, I don't want it. Nope. My doctor doesn't go to the doctor? Mm -mm, I don't want it. You know, I just don't want it. And so one, getting my butt in therapy. I think every grown person (laughs) needs at least six sessions on somebody's couch. But if you are a professional in this world, and particularly if you are a Black professional, and particularly if you are a woman in this world dealing with that stuff, you need to be on somebody's couch regularly. Why? Because that is an advocate for your care for yourself. Just like we encourage women, and I'm so glad now increasingly to have a doula, Mm-hmm. So that you can have someone who is there to support you through that process of bringing life into this world. You need someone to help you through that process of birthing the person that you need to be for your next season and dealing with who you were or how you showed up for that previous one or even your current one. I think that's important. So that's those two folks have been important and in tandem. Yeah. The third has been changing my environment. So coming out of a divorce 10 years ago, I basically took the stuff that I had and ran. You know, I'm queen of the remake, so I can make anything look like fabulous, okay? And so I had been doing all the Ikea hacks and doing the this and making do with that. And this is in pristine condition because I seasoned it out and seasoned it in. Yeah. And last year, right before the pandemic started, I had to say, you know, Kashana, you are a grown old woman. Can you get a grown dining table? Like, what is happening here? How are we the same person? I know we talk about this. Crazy. Yeah. I was like, ah. I officially retired Ikea like a year ago. And you'd think in my 40s that would have happened 20 years ago. But no, look, I I am just in my 40s now. And let me tell you when it happened last January. And I still have my two bedroom pieces that I was like, I guess you too, huh? I mean, literally having a conversation. Like, I guess. Like, that's the conversation I'm having. I guess. (laughs) And so being able to step my environment up. So that the place that I call my home and it happens to be where my office is, et cetera, is a place that I'm excited to be in. 
So changing that environment. So if environment is important to you, and every test I've ever taken says environment is important to me, how it smells, how it looks, how things are organized, bringing in a professional planner. If you don't have the money to do that, I kind of did a half DIY, half help. They have some great online, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or there's always a friend who okay. knows everything at the, from the Dollar Tree to container store. Yep. So changing my environment. And then my third was doing a friend audit. And this is something I talk about a lot. So a friend audit for me is really thinking about how have I been best positioned to help the people I care about mm-hmm. and how have I really shown up for them independent of their lived experience of me, like being brutally honest with myself about how I have shown up and why. And then who has caused me grief? Every time I see your name in my text message or you come on the phone, do I roll my eyes and ignore the call or do I pick up the call like, oh, hey, girl. <laughs> and that's everybody from my mama on back. And I did that out a couple of degrees of folks that I know. And there are folks who haven't heard from me in well, doggy, it's on purpose. Like I just, yes, I have released you <laughs> to the wonderful world of the outside and really doing that friend audit and making the apologies that I needed to make. Not like I'm sorry, I've been a bad friend, but like I realized when your birthday came this year that I dropped the ball and I understand I was grieving because people gave me a lot of grace last year, but also I know how to do that. Like that's the kind of friend I am. I know how to do that. So when I didn't do that, thank you for giving me grace. Also, I am acknowledging that I didn't do my best. And I want to make that effort going forward. So I didn't make it grand and general. Some folks, I didn't make any kind of grand gesture. Everybody doesn't have to get an announcement. I just put cards in the mail, put gift cards in email. Just do it. Just do the thing. I still do every month. There's somebody who receives them for me every month. And they don't have to be my closest in friend to do it. I had a girlfriend who's a fellow consultant who ended up hospitalized because she had been working herself to the ground. And it just so happened that in the previous month and a half before, we'd been talking a lot. And I was like, you're working the way I was working a couple of years ago and it does yield results, but it's at what cost? And I didn't say, I told you so. I didn't say, oh my gosh, we just talked about this. But when she told me that one of the things they recommended was massage therapy, I said, can you send me a home address, please? And she said, of course. And Mike said, so she's a girlfriend, but she's not a close, close inference. I didn't have it. I just looked up the water therapy in her area for the condition she said she had. And I said, okay, how much is that service again? That wasn't in my budget expenses. I said, do I have any clients? Up? I got, okay, carry the one. Do the two. <laughs> and I just did a session, yes. sent her the gift card, screenshotted and said, you said that you are going to be home. Please use this and enjoy. And I released it. Whether she uses it or not, I don't know. Am I going to check on that? I will not. And so in terms of things that I had to really change, it was really my attitude about how I engage with people. And then lastly, for me, it was because I have high expectations of myself and because I have tried to show up for others in ways that are in largesse, I get so disappointed when folks do not do that for me. And it hurts me very deeply. And when I have tried to articulate it and I have been made to feel really bad for the way I feel, so I just don't say anything. So then I just seethe and resent you. That's not good. It's not good. So now I'm either just love you from where you are. and we're not, I'm not even going to expect that. Or if I say something, we're not going to engage in the second part. And then I don't have to do everything for everybody like all the time. I don't. So just, I think just taking that next wave of maturity for me has been growing me personally. But I think that it's starting to show up professionally because once you learn a thing, you got to get tested on it, right? Yeah. And so then things are showing up professionally that are testing. Did you learn this thing? And that's where I'm at now. It's interesting. I hear 
a through line in all four of those strategies you've used and it's intentionality, Mm. right? Sort of pausing and listening to what are the things that are going to shore me up, Mm. right? To make sure that what is in my cup when I go to drink from it is pristine Mm. and rejuvenating. And for you, it's my friendship relationships, you know, my intimate emotional relationships, my physical space, making sure I have the mental support I need through a coach and a therapist. But it all stems from pausing and saying, what are the things I need to sustain myself? And I think that step, you know, going back to what you were saying about the hustle and those of us who are high performers, excellers, what we believe we're being rewarded for. You talked at the very beginning of our conversation about external expectations. What are we actually living up to? You can navigate all of that if you just pause and say, what do I need? What do I need? And for other people, it may not be their external environment. Although, you know, there's a lot being written about the sort of nine environments that we function within emotional, psychological, financial, Mm -hmm. physical, that we move through these environments and actually they all need to be shored up in order to support us, even if they're invisible. I really love that. Work in progress. (laughs) Yes. No, that's a fantastic theme. My last question for you actually goes back to when you were talking about your daughter and your work as a mother, um, Mm -hmm. as a businesswoman. I have to say for me, being a mom has really shaped even how I define what sustainability looks like. I shouldn't even say shape because that makes it sound more clear <laughs> than it actually is. <laughs> it has added dimension to- Yes, come on, added dimension. This, this issue <laughs> of sustainability and how I achieve it in my, <laughs> life, my personal life. And I just, I wonder if you would share, how do we think about sustainability within all of our identities? I mean, you're a daughter, you're- a mother, you're a professional, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, I'm a wife, like all of those things add dimension mm-hmm. to what it takes to sustain myself, what the end goal of sustainability is, mm-hmm. who I'm sustaining myself for. Mm-hmm. How have you navigated that? I mean, I think for me, that has probably been the hardest part. Like I definitely was like, a, I'm gonna get it done. Yeah. The place I drew the line at, though, was like, I'm not baking cookies and stuff, though. We're going to get that from the store. Where can we order this from? And I just want to release all of the mamas from some of the things that we have been taught to do. Like, the day that I was like, so someone else can clean this place? (laughs) That gave me back eight hours of my life. Yes. And I was like, this is worth every dime. What do I need to give up? There was a point now that I will not say that. But early on, I was like, what do I need to give up? Is it, do I need to eat ramen? Like, what do I need to do to be able to do this thing? And so I started with the things that I was taught to do as a woman that really like, yes, makes you a mother and that makes you a wife. And then I was like, it also makes me really angry and tired. So here's what I'm going to (laughs) do. If I do the daily stuff, well, can you do the bi-weekly stuff? Great. How much? Okay, let me negotiate that. The next thing was, when I look at the map of like my work, et cetera, I can tell when I'm going into like a heavy period. And I didn't do this before. This has been a, a shift mm-hmm. um, over the last year. And so I would meal prep for that time. I would have somebody meal prep for me. Then my mom, she's hilarious. Every time I tried to hire somebody to meal prep, then Dawn would show up with everything prepped. And I'm like, mom, this is twice the food we need. Like, I just want you, you either do it or the other people do it. This is how it goes, lady. Yeah. So being able to step forward into things we would consider to be a luxury or convenience. Mm-hmm. When I think about my time, 
and how I'm going to spend my time. If I am exhausted at the end of the day, I promise you that the love and care that I want to put into that meal is not coming into it. Baby girl is going to get whatever she's going to get. But if it's ready to rock and easy to do and I'm able to engage the table with her, we're able to go for our evening walk. Mm-hmm. So I started to do those things. And now that she's older, we love spending time together. So we've been able to do more things together. So I try to be intentional with her time yeah. and also have given her space and agency to be able to say, like, you are ignoring me, woman. I've had put date night. I was like, when she started doing that when she was really little, like eight or nine, I have put date night on your calendar. What do you know about date night? Oh. That's really sweet. <laughs> yeah, she's super sweet. And so it taught me like to constantly be like, am I doing more than I need to do? Mm-hmm. And so when I talk to my clients now, and particularly when I'm coaching, I'm like, yeah, that we're going to put all this stuff on and we're going to scratch off these four. Yeah. I have to come off today. And practicing that for me, when there's no one watching me, is harder for me to hold myself accountable to. So then I have to tell folks that I'm doing it. That public accountability absolutely helps me. One thing, and this has come up a lot, that I hear you saying is sort of, again, releasing yourself from external expectations Mm -hmm. and prioritizing the things that are important. I know coming into this year, you know, 2020 was an odd year in many ways, but I realized that I wasn't, that my family, and I'm very close to my family, was getting the version of me, the tired version of me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've given everything I have to the outside world and now I just want the couch version of me. Correct. Which doesn't, fit my actual values, right? Like Mm -hmm. I want them to get the expansive laughing version of me. And so intentionality about my schedule, right? Which is, you know, that theme again. It is. And I think, and that's that living your values in action part. And I think that one of the things that became very clear to me in doing work with clients, to be honest, and then in pressure testing with the kid, because those children will pressure test every assumption. They know what they're doing, those little people. It was that, oh, my values they can't be aspirational. Yeah. Like they have to be the things I actually do every day. So if I say to your point, family is a value. That's right. But these folks are like, can I have any time? Just any time? So you putting us on a schedule. So only an hour for dinner. We prioritize. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This has been an amazing, amazing conversation. All day. Thank you so much for joining me. I guess my last question, just to wrap us up, is, is there any advice? you would like to give? I mean, you've already given like really, you're a very concrete <laughs> sharer, but. I know, oh my gosh, I hate it. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's how my brain works. I totally vibe with it. And I'd love to apply it to our first question, right? I say sure. sustainable leadership. What advice do you have for folks who are really sort of navigating their own journey towards more sustainable yeah. leadership? I think one of the best things that folks can do for themselves right now is to understand what season you're in and that what you need for your journey at this point is going to be a little bit of what got you there, but not much. A lot of new stuff that you're going to have to be like, oh, this thing. And you probably picked it up in the last journey, but you're like, I don't know if I'm going to need this, but I'll put it here anyway. And then you're going to pick up some new things along the way that you're like, "Ah, I don't know if this quite fits yet. So that your tool, what's in your toolbox that you need is going to be shifting. And so my advice would be to really take the time for yourself. You owe it to yourself to assess where you are right now, today, in this season. What are you being called to do? What is your assignment? What are your responsibilities and your accountabilities? And then what are you doing for yourself that is just for joy? Mine is taking singing lessons 
and learning to play the piano after 40, which is a hilarious mess. Okay, I just want y'all to know. So what are you doing for yourself that is joy-filled, that is not attached to money? It's not attached to a revenue thing. It's not attached to an outcome. Can you even do that? Because I think that really trying to understand and recalibrate our center of joy in each season of our life, I think is really helpful and healthy in that sustainability journey that I think is so important for us to be on. So that's what I would do. Well, Kishana, thank you. This thank was you. Just delightful. And oh, great. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to our next conversation. Yes. A wonderful rest of your day. You too. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends. You can learn more about Kashana and her work at kashanaco.com. Also, before you go, if you're doing your own thinking about or work on making your own practice of leadership more sustainable, I have a treat for you. It's my new free sustainable leadership e-course where I walk you through how to lead from a state of abundance and stability as opposed to scarcity and overwhelm. Each week for four weeks, I'll send you a brief e-lesson, an activity, and curated readings to support you in creating a deeper, more sustainable practice of leadership. To sign up, go to richiebabbage.com sustainability. That's all for now. Have a great week and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.